What up, guys? It's JP from The Chase Down, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Welcome back, everyone. And today we have to break down the second round of playoff matchups. Uh, we got Phoenix-Denver, we got Jazz Clippers, Nets Bucks, and Sixers Hawks. But we're going to jump right into this first series, Phoenix-Denver. Uh, we didn't get to talk to you guys about this series too much um, in our last episode because it hadn't started yet, but we're three games in now, and Phoenix is up three games to zero. And... Uh, Honestly, it hasn't been close in any of them. So, Ben, what, what has been your impression of the series so far? So, this, I mean, I've, I've kind of been up and down about this series because I have loved the Denver Nuggets basically since Jokic was put into the starting lineup um, for, I don't know, four or five years at this point. And watching the bubble Suns made me really want to root for them. So, I'm torn on who I want to cheer for. But yeah. I just want to talk about what's going right for Phoenix and you have to start with Chris Paul. Yeah. Um, the fact that he – game two, he had 15 assists and zero turnovers. Uh, that's just – it's – you can't talk enough about how important that kind of play is for your team. If you have a point guard who can make the right play every single time and limit turnovers for your team that much, it just it – lets, it lets so many different guys score. Game two, they had four guys – scoring over 20 points. Um, just the, the fact that he can just control the ball like that so well, it's really, really impressive at the, the age that he's at. Um, I'm glad that he looks to be healthy now, but I'm surprised these games have not been close. I don't know if I, I am. Um, before the series, I, took, I knew the Suns were going to win. I just didn't know how many games because Jokic's roster is so depleted, but we're seeing now how depleted it actually is. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., he's re- he's, uh, he has an injured back. Like he's, it's clear to me, at least, that he's not the player he was in the series before. Um, and then you got Facundo Campazzo and, like, Monty Morris as your co-stars, quote-unquote. Half their guards are, are under six feet and rookies. Yeah, exactly. And it's just not going to work. Paul Millsap, he can't give you points anymore. He's more of just a defensive guy out there. So it's really just Chris Paul, Aiton, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, like Dario Saric. They just have so many options that it kind of makes sense to me. The margin of victory is so high here. But like, like you brought up Chris Paul, he has been unbelievable. The way he, every team he's on, the turnovers are minimal. They don't make mistakes. He just, his, his, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but basically every team he has turnovers aren't a thing. And I've seen a lot of talk about Chris Paul justifying that he should have been the MVP over Jokic. Can we just squash that now? I hate where the media goes with this MVP stuff. I don't know what the bias is against Jokic. I don't understand it. If Jokic had Jamal Murray and MPJ, this series could be overall, like they could win. They could sweep the Suns. Like I actually believe that. So I, I don't know. I just – Chris Paul's great, but he's not the MVP of the league. No, yeah. I think that's a little ridiculous. Uh, there are people that are saying that. I think Perk – Kendrick Perkins was one of the ones saying that. Um, I don't know. Some guys just have been counting out Jokic from the beginning. He's not an athlete. He doesn't look like he's a very talented basketball player. I don't know what the, the bias is, but Chris Paul was amazing. The thing I've also been incredibly impressed about with Phoenix is DeAndre Ayton. Um, I thought that he was going to be able to do a better job than really anybody else in the West at making shots difficult for Jokic. And he's doing that. I mean, Jokic, 
Yesterday, 32, 20, and 10. It's just a monster stat line. First 30-20-10 game since uh, 1970, I think, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Um, But Aiton's making these shots difficult. Jokic has always been a tough shot maker, but Aiton's ability to just be vertical and challenge shots without fouling is huge. That was what killed Nurkic when they played Portland, is just Nurkic could not just stay vertical. He fouled way too many times. Yeah. Um. What this is kind of shocking for me is Denver's down 0-3 right now, and they the games that they beat Portland, they won pretty decisively. Um, so I saw Dame Lillard tweet out, just like, shake my damn head, like when they saw that the Nuggets were down 3-0. Because if the Portland Trailblazers thought that they were contenders and the team that beat them can't even handle the Suns, I mean, it, like, it says a lot about how depleted the, the Portland roster was as well. Um, but, I mean, DeAndre Ayton's been my, my number two biggest surprise here in this series. 100%. I, I underrated his importance before the series. I thought Jokic was just going to give him the business kind of no matter what, just because of how highly I hold Jokic. But I think Ayton's almost guaranteed himself a max contract this offseason. Um, I think the Suns would be foolish to not offer it to him. It seems like he's proved himself as a defensive anchor and just a guy who's going to make every shot he takes. Like, he's shooting around 80% this entire playoffs. It's unheard of. Um, And his just impact as just a role guy and just to keep – like you said, he's making every shot hard for Jokic. Even though Jokic went 30, 20, and 10, he shot below 50%. So if you have Jokic taking 30 shots to get 30 points, that's a win every single day. So, yeah, like you said, Aiton's just been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of thought for Jokic to really have high scoring nights, he's going to need to step out into the perimeter because Aiton kind of lets him shoot those shots. He doesn't contest them as much as he contests the mid-range and the post shots. Um, and he's been doing it a bit. I want to just talk a little bit about what's going wrong for Denver. Um, And I think it just has to be how depleted the roster is. I mean, Jokic put up 32 yesterday. The entire rest of the starting lineup combined for 30. Um, So he is really, he's just by himself out there. And it sucks so much that Jamal Murray is not healthy for this series because I think it would be a hell of a battle if you had another big time scorer like Jamal Murray out there. Yeah, well, you bring up Jamal Murray. If they have Jamal Murray, that means Michael Porter's getting more open looks, and then this is just a wrap. Like, I, I truly believe if Jamal Murray's here and they have Monty Morris and Will Barton off the bench, I think this could literally be a, a, like a five-game series in favor of the Nuggets. I just think he's such an upgrade over what they have right now. Um, yeah, really, the Nuggets can't – we can't blame the Nuggets, right? Health got in the way. It, like I said, Porter's – nursing an injured back and then you got will barton coming off injury and play, like just shoved into the lineup and stuff it's just it's they just caught a caught a bad break do you think they win a game here you think they get swept it's a wrap yeah, i i want to see him win a game just because i think it would be kind of sad for them to go out that way yeah. um because they got one more home game i think i mean they have to they have to show out i don't know what they can do though it's not like these games have been close um, nobody's making anything difficult for Chris Paul. Nobody's making life difficult for Booker. Um, Mikhail Bridges, too, I love. I love him so much. Uh, he's got a contract extension coming up, too, pretty soon. 
and it's gonna be difficult this seems like it's the the most opportune year for phoenix because they haven't had to pay Aiton bridges yet uh chris paul is gonna have to decide in the offseason whether or not he wants to keep a 44 million dollar contract next year or if he wants to decline it and go for like three years 100 million or whatever he, he wants yeah um salary wise this seems like the year for phoenix to make it out of the west yeah, he's going to do the three-year $100 million, Chris Paul, like most certainly. But like, you, like you're right, they have a lot of money to shell out this summer. And this is kind of their best opportunity, especially with the Lakers injured. And who knows if James Harden's coming back. I mean, we'll talk about the Nets in a little bit. But, I mean, this, this could be their year. I think it is. I mean, I, I really would be excited to see a Phoenix-Utah Western Conference Finals yeah. just because that's – just the most – nobody saw that coming. No. Um, and it would be great for the one and two seeds to kind of prove themselves and make it that far. Um, but, yeah, I think – I mean, it, it would be a hell of a series. I don't know who's going to win. We'll talk about it if it gets to that point. But I just – Phoenix is, at this point, destined for the Western Conference Finals. It's just a mystery who they'll go up against. Yeah, and before we move on from Phoenix, like – we have to give so much credit to their role players. Like, I just feel like campaign Dario Saric, even Tory Craig in limited minutes plays good defense. Like mm-hmm. Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges is a, a tier above a role player, but he's not a star, but he's been playing excellent. I just feel like this team is so deep. I think them and the jazz are probably the two deepest teams left in the playoffs. They just have talent throughout and the Hawks, but just talent everywhere. Yeah, and so I think you can give – I mean, we've, we've said this already, but I think you can give a lot of credit to those role players playing well to Chris Paul. Yeah. Because okay. besides guys like LeBron James and Jokic, I don't know of a floor raiser that's on the same level of Chris Paul. Um, he really just brings the most out of guys. Torrey Craig is not the sort of dude I expect to show up in big-time minutes in the playoffs. And it's not like he's getting big-time minutes, but he's making the absolute most – out of every minute he's got out there. Yeah. Um, it just seems like this team, the chemistry is excellent for Phoenix, and they're all really, really hungry to win. Um, and for some reason, you just don't see that same level of energy from Denver. That, yeah, they, I feel like Jokic kind of knows it's a wrap. We saw, we saw him complain a lot to the refs uh, a mm-hmm. couple games, and once Jokic starts pitching to the refs, you know his mind's out of the game. So – I think he kind of knows what's happening. I think Mike Malone kind of knows also. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this series is over in four. Just Phoenix been dominating them every single game. Yeah, I mean, I just hope as a fan of Denver that they pull out one, but I wouldn't be surprised if they wrapped it up. Yeah, so let's move on to Jazz Clippers. Um, this series has been frustrating for me. Um, two pods ago, I came on and called Ty Lue an idiot, and he didn't know what he was doing, and – Blah, blah, blah. He has reverted back to that. Um, he has completely flipped what worked in the Mavericks series to try something new, and now they're down 0-2 to the Jazz. Um, he stopped playing Terrence Mann. He put Pat Bev back in the lineup. Avika Zubac is getting minutes. He is just – he is trying things on the fly, and the playoffs are not a thing – like. they're just not the time to try things like that. Just stick to what works best and ride it out. And Ty Lu thinks he's like Einstein or something, trying to put in new lineups every game and see if they work. He's, he's actively making this team worse. Um, I'm just shocked at how bad of a coach he is. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some stuff you can complain about with the way that he has been coaching. I think it makes sense that Patrick Beverly's back in this lineup. Um, he couldn't play against the Mavs because Luka just tore him apart. Every time he could, he would switch on to him. Um, I, I wish Terrence Mann would get more minutes. The th- I just want to talk about Utah. I want to talk about what they're doing right. Um, their shooting has been excellent. It's – I. We will talk – I mean, I'll let you talk a little bit more because we texted about this, but Donovan Mitchell is an absolute superstar. Yeah. Um, there's no question about it. It doesn't matter how – I mean, his, his regular season numbers are all-star level. His regular season numbers don't make him look like one of the best players in basketball, but the playoffs are when it matters, and he just has another mode that he can go into. His scoring has been excellent, and he's even playing on what seems like a bit of a bum ankle. Um, he had 37 in game one. I think he had 30-something, 45. 45 in game one, 37 in game two. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and Boyan Bogdanovich, I, he's kind of an underrated player for this Jazz team. He's been playing great defense on Kawhi. Yeah. And as much as it's annoying that uh, Zubats is out there getting real minutes, he needs to. You need to put a center out there that can challenge Gobert. I think maybe Boogie Cousins could do a bit better, but – Rudy Gobert's got gravity rolling to the rim. And if Nick Batum's the guy that's on him, it's a wrap. Rudy's going to score. His offense has been pretty solid. He hasn't been trying to do too much. He had 20 rebounds in the last game. Uh, you need somebody who can challenge him for boards, at least try to. I know Zubats isn't doing great, but the other option is putting either a hurt kind of bum boogie cousins out there or six foot seven Nick Batum. I'd take Nick Batum over Zubach and Boogie Cousins every day to guard Rudy Gobert. But I'll talk about the Jazz quickly. Donovan Mitchell, I made a TikTok about this. If you guys want to go check that out at It's the Chase Down. But I just, I think we need to start talking about him in a different light. Um, last year, he averaged 36 points per game through the playoffs. This year, he's averaging 33 points per game through the playoffs. Now, is he a top 10 play- player? Maybe not. But should he be on the same status as a Jason Tatum? I absolutely think so. If Donovan Mitchell wasn't in Utah and he was in L.A., he would be a superstar. His name would be everywhere. His brand would be crazy. I just know that for a fact. He is unbelievable. And with the way he explodes to the rim, it's unreal. But now he has a deadly jumper. He has become a complete offensive player and I just – I think he's a legitimate scoring option for a title-contending team for years to come. I think this Utah, this Utah Jazz team, the way they're constructed, is a title-contender team for years to come. I yeah. totally agree with you. Um, they've been able to do all this, by the way, without Mike Conley. Which um, is crazy. Mike Conley adds so much to this team offensively in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, he was looking like an all-star in the series against the, the Grizzlies. It might just be because it was the Grizzlies, but he's always been pretty solid against the Clippers. Um, Joe Ingles, too, as a shooter and playmaker, I love so much the fact that he can just waste absolutely no time, catch that ball high in his shooting form, and just go into it. Yeah. Um, Jordan Clarkson, too. I kind of crapped on him during the Grizzlies series, and I think it was well-deserved, but he's yeah. been shooting the lights out. He had all of the Jazz's bench points in game two, shot six and nine for three from three, really saved them in that game too. Um, but to talk about the, the Clippers, what is it that they can do differently here? What are, the, what are the steps here to try to get past this team? 
Well, first, I want to point out Joe Ingles is Paul George's daddy. Uh, <laughs> like, every time they face up, Joe Ingles wins the matchup, and I think it's hilarious. Um, Paul George is a stat fluffer at the end of this game, too. He had virtually no impact. But what can the Clippers change? That's a great question. I think they have to force the ball to Kawhi. If you've been watching this game, the, Bogdanovich has been doing a good job defending him. I think if maybe any other ref crew was refing it, he would have four fouls going into the third quarter. I mean, he is in Kawhi's shorts. <laughs> I like it, though. I like seeing that the refs are letting them play. I, I do enjoy that type of basketball. But So I think they need to start running more plays for Kawhi because Kawhi only averaging 20 points per game in this series seems wrong considering we just saw him do what virtually no other player in NBA history has ever done. Um, I think they need to force the ball to Kawhi and I just think they need to trust Terrence Mann, bring him back, play him more than one minute. One minute? Are you kidding? And then also just sell Avika Zubac. Like, just cut him from your team immediately. The worst foot speed in the league. Everyone picks on him. Um, and Luke Kennard is unplayable in this game, in this series. Um, every time he was out there, Donovan Mitchell said, nope come over here and just cooked his shit. And then same thing with Zubac. Nope, come over here, cooked his shit. So you just can't play Zubac and you can't play Kennard the whole series. Just trust Batum and trust Terrence Mann. And that's your seven-man lineup. And just stick with it. I don't know why he switched it. Do you think Boogie Cousins should get any run out there? No, not a single minute. I, I don't understand what Ty Lue's doing. It's, vert, like, it's a fireable offense again. And I'm going to go back on this. People, are, people gave Ty Lue credit in the Mavs series for making adjustments. The reason they were down 0-2 is because he didn't make adjustments and he didn't do the normal smart thing to do. Like, this is what we're seeing again. Like, any sane person walks into the series thinking, oh, the Clippers have found their groove. They know there's seven guys to put out there. They're going to run small and they're going to have Terrence Mann just as an energy guy off the bench. He decides to put Pat Bev, who was virtually unplayable in every series he plays now, and Avika Zubac back on the floor. It doesn't work. And he's trying it, and it's stupid. It's just dumb. Yeah, I think – I mean, you're right. Zubac is not a great center. Um, the guy that they really need right now just went and underwent some back surgery, and that's Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Um, his back was bothering him in the first series. He didn't play any games this series, and now he's having surgery. That's killer for them because Serge Ibaka really brings so much uh, on both ends. But I just – Rudy Gobert is going to rebound the hell out of the ball if you got six seven Nick Batum on him. He's going to get every single rebound that he wants. Um, I know – like Zubats has to do a better job. I, I don't know what – I still think he needs to get like 10 minutes at least. Um, I, you're shaking your head here. I know that you don't agree. He looks like a bum out there. I know that he does. The switches really, really hurt him. Um, we've talked about I, – I just want to go back real quick to the Jazz and to Rudy Gobert. Yeah. He is not as slow-footed and useless on defense as people portray him to be. No. Um, he can get out to those perimeter guys. He blocked, who was it, Marcus Morris's shot in game one to end the game. Yep. Um, he – big guys don't have that kind of foot speed. And Zubats is kind of your average seven-footer. 
Uh, Rudy Gobert is a cut above. Um, his paint deterrence is still excellent. Paul George was getting every shot at the rim that he wanted against the Mavs, and he shot four for 17 in game one and eight for 18 in game two. Uh, Patrick Beverly had a shot inside where he pump faked against Rudy Gobert and just Rudy Gobert swatted his shit. Yeah. Um, you can't say enough about how much he does defensively. This whole jazz team is just so locked in. Uh, but yeah, Kawhi Leonard needs to have offense run for him. It's obvious at this point, Paul George is not going to do anything to win you this series. Nothing. Reggie Jackson had an excellent game too. Uh, and you don't really expect that kind of scoring output from him. I mean, he did yeah. it in the Mavs. I just don't expect it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the secret, if they're going to win this game, Terrence Mann needs more minutes, Luke Kennard needs less minutes, and Kawhi Leonard needs to take 30 shots. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, I'll talk about Rudy Gobert quickly. He is one of the best defenders of all time, and people do need to treat him as so. Um, I just feel like my theory was if you have Nick Batum sitting in the corner and Rudy's his defender, you, you just pull him out of the paint a little bit. So it makes it harder for him to rotate in the paint and deter shots with Zubach out there. He can just fucking chill. Like yeah. he can just stay in the paint and no one's getting anything against him. And when DeMarcus cousins is out there, it's even worse. I mean, Zubach and cousins together played 24 minutes that's 24 minutes where Rudy Gobert can just sit in the paint. And that ruins – it ruins any drives to the hoop. Um, DeMarcus Cousins looked like a fool out there, pump faking five or six times before he even went up for a shot. It was like – it was kind of pathetic. It looked like in like a YMCA game where a 45-year-old <laughs> man who was overweight was trying to get up a shot. It was just – it was pathetic. It's just – I really don't know. Like, I've kind of come to terms with – the Jazz just beating this team. I said in the last podcast, like, my head was telling me Jazz in seven, but my heart was telling me Clips in seven because I just love Kawhi and I didn't want to bet against them. But mm -hmm. I'm not shocked by this result at all. The Jazz were an incredible three-point shooting team all throughout the regular season, and they were a great defensive team all the way throughout the season. So, I mean, Jazz, it's, it seems like they're going to be able to just finish out this series with the way Donovan Mitchell's playing and the way Rudy Gobert can just sit in the paint and stop everything from going there and the way Ty Lue's coaching. Yeah, the way that the Jazz are able to swing the ball around the perimeter and get quick, efficient three-point shots nuts. is killer. It's and it's right – that's, that's why Luke Kennard is useless out there is because he can't close out to those guys. No. Um, he bites too much on pump fakes, and then they can blow past him and then kick it open to another three-point shooter. Um, their offense is so, so perfect for the squad that they have. Yeah. Um, credit All the credit in the world to Quinn Snyder. I, these, this team was underrated for a one seed. They were as underrated as I've ever seen a one seed been. They've never, they didn't get any of the credit that they deserved during the regular season for how well that they played. And yeah. For a team that I also thought the Clippers are just – I always thought they were just too talented to fail. Um, with Kawhi and Paul George, Paul George, where does he go in the playoffs? He, I mean, you've said this, and I'll let you keep saying it. He is a certified pants pooper, uh, to yes. use your term there. Yeah. Um, can't do anything in the playoffs. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I do not understand it. He's such a talented basketball player, and he just sucks as soon as the playoffs start. Um, 
they got home court advantage for the next two games. Does it matter? Do you think they how, – how many do they win, the Clippers? I don't know. I, I, I'm having trouble even giving them – I'm going to say they win two. I'm going to say they win one at home and then they take one away in their second trip to Utah. But I think there's no way they come out of this series alive. Yeah, there was not a whole lot of confidence in that answer. And I think that's that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Um, I would love to see a Jazz sweep. I don't think it's possible just because the Clippers, how is Kawhi going to have another 20-point game? He's got to score 40 in one of these showings. The thing that's interesting too, Ben, is these games have been within six points. So the Clippers, even with Paul George shitting his pants, and even with Pat Bev giving up buckets endlessly and Zubac endlessly and DeMarcus Cousins endlessly, these games are still close. The Clippers are managing to find a way to make these competitive when they probably shouldn't be. Um, it gives me a little hope, but I mean, again, they're down two when Ty Lue's making abysmal coaching decisions. So I think that just swings the momentum in the Jazz's favor. Do you think there's a chance that Ty Lue loses his job at the end of this series? They're, they can't. They can't. They can't look stupid two years in a row firing their coach. They just – they have to switch the personnel. They have to trade Paul George. I agree. It's a – at some point you have to accept the fact that it's not the coach. Doc Rivers should have made more adjustments in the, the series against the Nuggets last year, but it shouldn't have gone to the point where there was a game seven. No. Um, no. That's That was a player problem as much as it was a coaching problem. And I think if I, – I hope Kawhi stays on this team just because I'm not a huge fan of super teams – um, but Paul George is going to have to go and they're going to have to get him a point guard and some shooters. Rajon Rondo got a DNP in game two, uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, I think it's just another reason to criticize Teron Lou. but yeah, I, I mean, this seems like the end of this era for this team. It seems like there was so much hype when Kawhi joined and yeah. it's all gone. To give Pat Bev minutes over Rondo alone, should get Ty Lue fired alone. That one coaching decision, never mind his countless other mistakes. Um, it's just, you, it's over. It's a wrap. I think one thing before we move on, I feel like teams are still going to want Paul George, despite seeing how garbage he is in the playoffs. Like if the Clippers called up the Knicks and said, hey, we'll give you Paul George and you just give us five first round picks and RJ Barrett, I think they do that. Five first-round picks for Paul George? But, you know, okay, that was an exaggeration. But, like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I a mean, ton of picks, R.J. Barrett, or a ton of picks in Emmanuel Quickly and Mitchell Robinson or something. If you're not thinking that adding Paul George to your team makes you a title contender, like, if it's just going to make you a better basketball team, he's – Paul George needs to be picked up. Yeah. Because um, in the regular season, he is excellent. Um, but yeah, if you are, if your goal is title contending and you think Paul George coming to this team will make us a title contender, any team that thinks that is wrong. Yeah. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. And then the Knicks can bolster their two worst playoff performance players in the league with Julius Randle and Paul George. So that's sick. That'd be a dope team. I mean, yeah, they may go after that. I really think they need to try to get a point guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope Paul George is gone at the end of the season. If Kawhi stays, Paul George has to leave for somebody better. They have no option at this point, right? I mean, Paul George just 
being horrible two years in a row in the postseason and pretty much throughout the last ever since he went to OKC I did like hard research on this ever since he went to OKC he's abysmal in the playoffs just garbage yeah Um, I mean there's there's some things you can talk about OKC he was dealing with shoulder injuries but at a certain point you can't have an excuse for every single series you can't have five points in an elimination game against a rookie Donovan Mitchell and lose when Russell Westbrook puts up 44 points you just can't if he even puts up 13 points they win the game but he Mm -hmm. he dropped a five yeah no he's he's turd that dude's bad at basketball in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break and then come back with the Eastern Conference. All right, and we're back. Uh, we're going to get into the Eastern Conference semifinals here, and we're going to start with Nets-Bucks. Uh, surprisingly, this series is not going to be a sweep. If yeah. you watch the first two games, I think that's a bit of a mindfuck, the fact that the Bucks were able to win a single game here. Um, and they were able to take game three – in probably the worst offensive showing I've ever watched, uh, 86 to 83. Yeah. The fact that they won at all is, uh, I think, a miracle. I think this is going to be a five-game series. Yeah. Um, there's just some questions we got to go over. My, the, I mean, the first thing that I want to complain about is Giannis taking eight threes. He took more threes than anybody else on the Bucks in game three. And they're the ugliest shots in the entire world. Um, sometimes Brooke Lopez is down in the paint and he can get an offensive rebound off one of those bricks and put it back in. Um, and that worked okay in their first round. But Brooke Lopez is not getting offensive boards. Giannis is just bricking threes at the start of possessions and they're just giving the ball right back to Brooklyn. So um, I have a little thing on this. So yeah. first, Giannis is three for 33 on three-point attempts. Woo! Three for 33. Let that sink in. And the second is, this is what I believe is happening in Milwaukee. So I'm going to give you guys an analogy here. You know that kid who sings in the shower and thinks he's really good, but he's never sung in front of anyone, and his mom's always telling him, you're great, honey. You should go on American Idol. You'll win the whole damn thing. That is Mike Budenholzer to Giannis shooting threes. Giannis (laughs) thinks he's good enough to do it, and Mike's like, yes, do it do it shoot those wide open threes and Giannis is like okay and he just chucks him and chucks him oh, and like. bricks every single one yeah and it's just like it's the irrational confidence from Giannis and it's like it doesn't make sense why Mike Budenholzer is allowing this I think that actually is a fireable offense I think my Mike Budenholzer is gone after the series it's a wrap and yes Nets are winning in five for sure yeah so the one positive thing I can say about Mike Budenholzer is that all three of his best players played more than 40 minutes in game three. I noticed that. I promise you, I, I would put a bet down on this if I could. They're going to go back to 36 minutes in game four. Yeah. Um, even though it worked, he's not going to go back to it. This was a lucky win for Milwaukee. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. There's not another game in the Nets with this Nets core, there's not another game where they're going to score 83 points. Um, credit to P.J. Tucker for making Kevin Durant's shots difficult. Mm-hmm. But he usually, Katie usually hits those shots regardless. Um, we saw this in one of the games against the Celtics. He was just missing shots that he normally hits. It happens sometimes. Yeah. You can't give a whole, I mean, I think P.J. Tucker makes them difficult. But usually it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Joe Harris, one for 11. 
just throwing up garbage out there. One for seven from three. Yeah. Uh, Blake Griffin didn't have another 18-point game. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Brown with a terrible layup attempt to try to end that game. And I understand, like, the, the play got a little bit scrambled. Uh, yeah. Kyrie didn't have a great game. This isn't going to happen again. I am willing to bet my house that Kevin Durant comes out in game four with 30 points on 17 shots. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I promise. 12 it's, to 17? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm just willing to bet my entire house on it. We saw it in the Celtics series, that one game KD had where he looked kind of off, kind of fumbling the ball around, turning the ball over, maybe not taking the greatest shots. The next game, he just stomped us, like just ruined us from the moment the game started. And that's what's going to happen in game four. Um, I, I just – this never happens again throughout the playoff. Maybe – Maybe the Nets will have one game of series where everyone just misses a shot and then they just destroy everyone because Joe Harris is never going one for 11 again. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And Kyrie, like you said, he didn't have a great game either. He's nine for 22 from the floor. So, I mean, this next game will just be domination from the jump. But I think that leads us into the Bucks and like how they're playing. Chris Middleton in the first two games was 13 for 43 garbage okay this game he scored 35 points on around 50 percent from the floor from the floor and from three with 15 boards that's a great game but Chris Middleton this is who he is he's a no-show one game and then he makes your team win the other game and if you're a title contending team your second best player can't be like that and yeah. then Drew, Drew, oh, sorry, Holiday, keep going. Really quick. Drew Holiday we have to stay we have to start realizing that he's not underrated anymore like he is properly rated this guy doesn't deserve to be an all-star he's just a good player and to think he's getting 160 million over the next four years is like whoa that's a lot of money he looked great in the regular season um I don't know if you heard this I thought it was pretty stupid at the time when he was on the Pelicans David Griffin said who was the GM of the Pelicans said that he thought Drew Holiday could be an MVP in the league and that all he needed was a little push. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, GMs are deluded. I guess that's fair. But four of 14, Drew Holiday cannot hit a three if his life depended on it. Um, I, I don't understand. He's never been a bad shooter. But he just sucks so bad. Nine points on 14 shots is abysmal. Yeah. Chris Middleton, if you're a Celtics fan, you're used to this dude looking like uh, – Tracy McGrady and scoring 35 points a game on the Celtics. Yeah. Um, he just doesn't do that consistently against other teams, but I mean, he did it yesterday and it got them or two days ago, whatever it was. And he got them the win, which was great for them. But I, I just, I can't understand why Giannis doesn't dominate in the paint. He shot a higher percentage from zero to three feet from the basket than anyone ever has in NBA history on the yeah. volume that he shot at. Yep. And he's scared of Blake Griffin. He's trying to do crossover moves from the, from the free throw line on Blake Griffin. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and make, make this make sense. In the playoffs, his field goal percentage drops by eight points, and he becomes a 12% three-point shooter. Um, and his free throw shooting, oh, my. I mean, Awful. like – I've never had my opinion change so quickly on a player because three years ago, 
I was convinced he was the next big thing, right? Like LeBron ages, Kevin Durant ages, Kawhi ages. And when they phase out of the league, Giannis would be the guy that take the torch. I have like, I'm questioning whether he's a top 10 player because like, the fact that you can't just give this guy and trust him with the ball, if he's anywhere outside of three feet, he's a liability. And I think that is so crazy to think that three years ago, we were crowning this guy, right? You're the next big thing. He won two straight MVPs, won unanimously. And now I'm just like, why does, like, I'm not excited to watch this guy play basketball. I'm actually kind of worried that he's going to lose the game for his team. Yeah, the free throws have got to get better. Um, the regular season, at the start of the regular season, it really looked like he had gotten a rhythm. Um, but the reason that he had gotten a rhythm was because he was taking 17 seconds to shoot free throws. Yep. Um, and the, the, the weird thing, why is it that he'll take 12 seconds to 15 seconds for every single free throw attempt, but like one out of nine they'll call the 10-second violation? Yeah. Um, it doesn't even matter. I'm not sure what he's taking so long for because it's not like it helps him make the shots. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, he needs to just destroy people in the paint. He was doing it all regular season. He was a great ball handler in the pick and roll in the regular season. And yesterday he had two assists and five turnovers. I think the key, if they're going to even come close, uh, if you watched game two, there's no reason to think that this Bucks team could ever come close against the Nets. Um, Drew Holiday needs to be the primary ball handler. It worked in the first series. They kept Giannis towards the block. They kept Brooke Lopez outstretched on the three sometimes and then pushed him back into the paint when he needed to be in the paint. Drew Holiday's got to be your facilitator. Um, he's also got to learn how to hit a three-point shot. Five of the ten worst three-point shooters in this playoffs right now are on the Bucks. I, it's disgusting. Um, they're, they're a better team than this. P.J. Tucker's shooting garbage. If he can make shots that KD takes difficult, I'm okay with him not taking a lot of shots. Yeah. Um, but he was breaking wide open threes. And it's just – it's this is the squad for the Bucks for the next couple of years. They yep. don't have cap space. They nope. signed their big three to big extensions. Mm-hmm. This is, I thought it was a title contender team. It doesn't seem like it anymore. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, I don't see this team doing anything in the next couple of years. I mean, if, if this is who Drew Holiday is as a playoff performer, they have no shot. Yeah. And if this is who Giannis is as a playoff performer, they have no shot. Um, Giannis's free throw percentage, like we were talking about, has gone 18% since the regular season. In the, in the playoffs. He's down 18% at the free throw line. That's terrible. That's, it's inexcusable. It doesn't even make sense. 31.6% from the free throw line in this series. That's worse than Shaq. It's dog. It's dog water. It is horrible, horrible, horrible. Like, like I said, I've never had my perception of a player change so quickly. Um, and like you said, like this is their their squad for the next couple of years like what moves can they even make like are are the Clippers doing a Paul George for Chris Middleton swap I don't think so like I don't I don't that's an option I mean <laughs> if both of those dudes need new fresh starts that is an option but like is Paul George the dude you want on your team come playoff time he's gonna be just like worse than Middleton right so it's like 
and Middleton. I mean, I need to I need to do a little thing on him. For a guy that me and you give a pretty good amount of credit to because of how efficient he is in the regular season, I'm completely out on him. He should never make an all-star team again. Like, this is who he is. He's amazing one night and then bad another. It's just the reality of his playoff career. I don't think he should be rewarded for it. He is, for every one great game he has, he has two bad games. Yes. Never okay. Never in the middle. Um, for it's it's frustrating because I have sang this dude's praises for years. Yes. When the regu- during the regular season, he is one of the most underrated players in basketball, and people think I'm such a moron for saying that once they watch him in the playoffs, and I stand by it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he just can't do anything in the playoffs. It's, I I really. I've been tricked. I had such high hopes for this Bucks team. I thought that they could take the Nets in seven yeah. with, Kate, with James Harden being out. If he was healthy, it would be a wrap. But with James Harden being out, I thought there was a chance that the Bucks could win this series. Yeah. Um, and I'm expecting another 30-point blowout in game four. Yeah, same. Um, and possibly the same in game five. I, I, I have nothing more positive to say about the Bucks. I um in our last podcast, I almost said the Nets could sweep, and you gave me a facial reaction that made me think that take was a little too hot. I wish I said it. I, I wish, wish you I did too. It. I thought it was. I thought it was a, a garbage take, but you were right. I was. I was just like I just didn't trust the Bucks for whatever reason. I just have a lot of faith in the Nets, and like, my God, to think that James Harden is not even playing. And these are the games we're getting where, like, it takes Joe Harris going one for 11 and KD's probably – that first half from KD might have been his worst half of his career. Like, I, he didn't do anything. Nothing. Four turnovers, super inefficient, like, just kind of fumbling the ball around. The second half he came out with swinging. But, I mean, like, that's what it takes for the Bucks to win by two points. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty pathetic. Um, this team – with James Harden, it doesn't matter who they end up going against in the West. It sucks to say, but if you can put a 40-point smackdown on the Bucks without James Harden, yeah. you can beat anybody with him. Yeah. Anybody. Um, Joe Harris, yeah, there's no way he's missing six wide-open shots again. Never. Um, because out of the, out of the seven, six out of seven threes that he missed, Four of them were wide open. Um, And he hits those almost every time. Um, This was a prayer answered for the fans of Milwaukee that they didn't have to get swept. But this series is over. Um, Really quick, really quick. Bruce Brown. If Bruce Brown doesn't take a few questionable shots in the last 40 seconds of this game, I think the Nets win. If you just get the ball to KD twice in those last two offensive possessions for the Nets, the game's over. Kevin Durant hit three straight shots that were virtually impossible. He had two nice mid-range shots, but then the three over P.J. Tucker. It was like, all right, this dude's just locked in, and the Nets are going to win. But Bruce Brown went hero mode and ended the game for the Nets. Like, if KD takes those last two shots, it's over. It's a sweep. Yeah, I mean, you can criticize Bruce Brown for that. He had a good first half, <clears throat> and he kept it competitive for the Bucks yeah. in the first half when KD yeah. was throwing up bricks. Um, but, yeah, you got to know that when the game matters, get the ball out of your hands and into Kevin Durant's hands. Yeah. Yeah. That should be, like, no question. Yeah. 
Um, so let's move on to Sixers Atlanta. So yeah. you had Atlanta Hawks winning this series, I think, in seven. Yeah, in seven. Um, and after the first game, it wasn't that ridiculous of a take. I mean, Trey Young was getting everything that he wanted offensively. Um, and Bede put up 39 points, and it still wasn't enough to get a win. Yeah. But the Sixers have made some changes. Yeah. Uh, Matisse Thibel's minutes got bumped up a bit. Ben Simmons started being, first of all, more aggressive, mm-hmm. um, which the best version of Ben Simmons is when he's aggressive. He is, he looks like he's got like top 15 player potential when he plays aggressive like that. Yeah. And he's also guarding Trey Young. Um, Danny Green still can't hit a, bu- hit a bucket, but I think it'll be fine. Um, has your opinion on this series changed a bit watching games two and three? Changed drastically, actually. Good. Um, Sixers and five. I think, I think they win these next two. And the, there's, all right, there's two huge reasons why. No, three, actually. So the first one is I was concerned about Joel's meniscus. He looks maybe Fine. better than ever. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've seen him play a stretch of games like this in his career. Um, he is making Clint Capella, who me and you also give a lot of credit to, just look like an idiot out mm-hmm. there. Like, he is just dominating him. So that's number one. Number two, the adjustments you talked about. Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel taking the defensive assignment of Trey Young has shifted this series. Um, even though Trey Young had a nice little game there, 28 points or something, like with eight assists, I just don't think it's enough if Ben Simmons can get the ball out of your hands throughout the entire game. Like if Trey was able to have the ball in his hands throughout the entire game, I think Hawks and seven still kind of makes sense. But with Ben Simmons all over him, no, no chance. And number three, DeAndre Hunter got hurt. Yeah. I think that is a big, big loss. I know he's not a scoring animal. I don't think, but he is the type of player where he can give you 12 on the offensive end and he can just shut down someone on the defensive end. And they just don't have that defensive versatility that they once had. So I think this is a wrap. Yeah, he is so consistent offensively yeah. and defensively. DeAndre Hunter, I really think in a couple of years, will be, like, as a two-way player, one of the best. Yeah. Um, like, he's got that potential. Um, Trey Young, yeah, if you look at his numbers, it wasn't terrible. 28 points and eight assists is a yeah. fine game. Yeah. Um, I, they're doing a good job at making sure it's a one-on-one defense that they're playing on Trey Young. We talked about this in game one, that they were letting Danny Green play one-on-one with him. But if you look at the numbers, the every t- basically every single time they trapped Trey Young, Trey Young was able to find an efficient look for a teammate. Yes. That um, is so you need to play one-on-one against Trey Young. And we've, we've been saying this, that Matisse Thibel is that dude. Just put him out there and don't worry about how bad his offense is. Just lock down Trey Young. Yes. And – even if he scores a bit, just don't let him pass to wide open teammates. And that has been big. Um, Bogdanovich had a pretty solid night as well. Could have taken more shots. Um, yeah, Clint Capella's not looking like the sort of rock solid defender that he used to be. And I know that that's Joel Embiid. That's not yep. Clint Capella. That doesn't say anything bad about Clint Capella. Joel Embiid is just a force, an absolute force. Yeah. Um, I want to see aggressive Ben Simmons offensively in every single game. I don't know what it is that he just decides to turn it on and off sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that version of him where he just explodes to the rim and dunks on people 
or he gets into a good dunker spot into the post and then he throws up lobs for Embiid. Um, it just, it works so well. And I just, I can't figure out what it is that stops him from doing that all the time. Um, but yeah, this looks like it's going to be a wrap for the Sixers. Tobias Harris might have gotten a concussion there in game two because he fell and landed headfirst into a cameraman. Yeah. Um, first of all, why did we bring cameramen back there? What, what, what is the point? Are we really getting anything out of having a cameraman right there for people yeah. to go get hurt again? Um, even if Tobias Harris isn't completely healthy, Sixers win this series. Yeah, and I, I have a question. No, I have a statement that might make you a little upset, but I think I'd just take Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic every single day of the week. Like, every single day of the week. The way Joel can just pummel the opposite center and just make him look like an idiot and just get to the free throw line 20 times a game and make 85% of them, I just, I just value that over Jokic's playmaking. I, I, just, I think Joel's just an animal out there. I mean, if you have a solid playmaker to pair alongside Joel Embiid, that makes sense. Um, Nikola Jokic, you don't need an extra playmaker around him. He just can do so much himself. But Jokic cannot get to the free throw line the way Embiid can. Um, can, Embiid just puts your center in foul trouble immediately. Like first quarter, you have to think about, all right, our guy's got two fouls on him. Do we leave him in or do we take him out and put in some bum? And if you put in a bum, Joel Embiid's going to murder him. Um, if you if you watched any Sixers Celtics games, you saw him do that to Luke Cornett. Yeah. Just like he was 20 pounds out there, just moved him out of the way and just destroyed the rim. Joel Embiid can do that to anybody. And there's like a fear factor with Joel that I don't think Jokic has too, just because of the physicality of his game. Like he, you will walk out of the game with bruises on your body. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just how Joel Embiid plays. Like Jokic, as I, like I said, I love Jokic, but he's very finesse, like teardrop, floater, passing, like that. Joel's just like, I'm going to crush you. Yeah, and Joel I, I, dominates better than anybody. Jokic is like a bump you off your spot and then hit you with a fadeaway. Right, and I think Jokic is better at getting the team involved, obviously. They're two very different players, but I just think the intimidation, the domination of Joel Embiid, I just, I just, I would love to have that on my team. Absolutely, yeah. So it seems like the Eastern Conference Finals here are going to be Sixers versus Nets. Um, Jeff Green at some point will be coming back into the lineup. I am curious to see if the Nets can do anything at all to stop Joel Embiid or even slow him down, or if it's just going to be a, uh, we're going to trade every one of your twos for threes. Because Giannis, what I expect, what I expected Giannis to do against the Nets is what Joel Embiid will do against the Nets. Giannis won't just back somebody down and dunk on him. Joel will do it over and over and over again until he's stopped. Yes. Um, and I don't think there's anybody on the Nets that's stopping. He's no. got a chance to score 50 in one of those games. 100%. 100% agree. And he, like, like we were talking about, he'll just live at the free throw line. I mean, to think that Blake Griffin is going to defend him is a joke. To think Nicholas Claxton is going to defend him is a joke. I'm so excited to see Blake Griffin get dunked on by Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's going to be a murder. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be a murder. And Kevin Durant, I mean, they play Kevin Durant at the five sometimes, especially against the Bucks. They've been running that out a ton. They just can't do that against the Sixers. If they do that, they'll get pummeled. So, they will get crumpled. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I love the Sixers, but I just, 
the Nets have too much shot making. And I, I think what they're going to do against the Nets is just put Ben Simmons on Kevin Durant the entire game. And then I think with like patchwork minutes, I think they're going to try a combination of Matisse Thibel and Danny Green on Kyrie and just see if that helps. But I mean, we all know how this goes, right? You put your best defender on Kevin Durant, you slow him down maybe one game, but it really doesn't matter. Like in the grand scheme of things, it just doesn't matter. Ben Simmons put his own name in the hat there for defensive player of the year. He hyped himself up a good amount during the regular season. This will be his chance um, to prove himself as a defender. He can make shots difficult for KD. Yes. Um, Again, KD is amazing and he's going to score over him all the time, but the, the plan has to just be make shots tough. Um, If James Harden's back, Matisse Thibel needs to try his best to just shut him down as a passer. Yeah. Um, Let him score one-on-one. James Harden's one of the best ISO players in basketball in like history. Um, So let him score one-on-one. Just don't let him pass to wide open shooters. And I think that's the only chance Philly really has at winning that series. But I would love so much to see them take down the Nets. Yeah, I think I'm going to take Nets in six. Just because I think Joel's going to have a game where it's like, holy hell, and he just wills them to win. And then the Nets will probably have an off night. But I think I take Nets in six in that series. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's totally fair. It depends on James Harden's health. Um, I might go hot take and take the Sixers if it seems like Harden isn't going to play that series. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised if Harden doesn't play in the series first of all like I know it's his hamstring I don't know how serious it is though I think they're literally just resting him because they don't take the box seriously I think so too um I think first of all this is a chance for Kevin Durant to kind of prove himself um and he's really hasn't ever had the the need to do that since he was in OKC um so it's a good chance for him to prove himself but yeah if they really needed James Harden I think he'd probably be out there I think KD probably takes the best player in the world thing this playoffs. Like, even though I think he's on the same level as LeBron, I think you're going to get all the talk shows talking about how Kevin Durant's the best player in the world if he just dominates the Bucs like we expect him to and the Sixers. I just feel like he'll get that buzz. Um, I I think it's, like, fair. I think that's a fair argument. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know that – so him, just him and Kyrie, I think – you can't take a lot away from him from the whole super team thing. When James Harden's around, you can't give him so much credit because so many of his shots are so much more open. Um, But he's had to create offense for himself. They're difficult shots and he's hitting them because he he is incredible. Um, I just think there will forever be a loud amount of NBA fans that do not give Kevin Durant any credit. That's probably, yeah, that's the realistic way to look at this people are just going to be angry that he ruined the league for like 10 years because he went to the nets and the warriors so Mm -hmm. um but let's choose between phoenix and jazz who we assume will win their series um i'm gonna take oh boy um actually i have no idea you go first we'll have to do a little more in-depth conversation about this once it gets to that point yeah um my heart wants me to pick phoenix uh, there's the, Donovan Mitchell is a great defender. Uh, like, I mean, he's not like one of the best, but as a two-way guy, he's pretty solid. Um, so him and Devin Booker kind of seem about even to me. Maybe Donovan Mitchell has a slight up, slight head up offensively. Yeah. Um, Mike Conley's not going to be able to do a thing against Chris Paul. 
<clears throat> Rudy Gobert and DeAndre Ayton will be an interesting matchup because DeAndre Ayton can move Rudy Gobert out to the mid-range. Um, he's got that kind of touch. He can take those sort of shots. If he can just slightly move Gobert away from the rim, he can get a little bit more uh, layups for the rest of his team. I don't know. I really don't know. I want to take Phoenix in seven. I'm going to take Jazz in seven. I'm going to take Jazz in seven. I, I Rudy Bogdanovich has shown me something I didn't expect of him, like just lock, not locking up Kawhi, but like making it tough for him. I didn't see that coming really. Um, so I think I'm just going to take Jazz in seven. I think that's fair. We'll have to have a little more in-depth conversation about that once it gets there. For sure. But I think that wraps everything up. Ben, do you have anything else to say? No, that'll do it for me. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Peace.